This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. Never forget what he is. And what is that? Oh, he's a monster. On the afternoon of July 8, 1981, he complained of chest pains and was taken to the dispensary. His mouthpiece and restraints were removed for an EKG. When the nurse leaned over him, he did this to her. His pulse never got above 85, even when he ate her tongue. It was an arrest that stunned the nation. A New York City police officer taken into custody after sharing disgusting fantasies about murdering his wife and then cannibalizing her. There are all these other types of cannibalism that, that just don't get the airplay. For example, funerary rites. Instead of burying somebody, you consume them. They eat everything except the teeth, the hair, and the nails. Everything. He killed a man and ate him, along with a glass of fine red wine. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Hello and welcome to Science-ish. I'm Rick Edwards, joined as ever by Dr. Michael Brooks. Hello. Uh, so we are back after a little mid-season break. It's Valentine's Day. Uh, we thought, what's the most romantic film that we could dissect. <laughs> and the conclusion we came to was... Science of the Lambs. Oh, that uh, is romantic, isn't it? There's a frisson. Yeah, yeah. Between various characters. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's... Uh, I, do you know what? I was going to re... I've seen it a, a load of times. And I was going to re-watch it. And I couldn't quite get in... Uh, you need to be in a certain frame of mind to watch yeah, that. Yeah. I'm not very good with scary stuff, even though I know exactly what's going to happen. And I just thought I'm not going to do it. So well, Anthony Hopkins is so good. And it's just creepy and it's just nasty. And it's like putting yourself in a place where you just mm. are not enjoying yourself. But also, the geezer who's... What's the actor called? The guy who plays Buffalo Bill. Uh, Ted Levine, maybe? Something like that. Yeah. He's not messing about. <laughs> He's a creepy bastard. Mm. It rubs the lotion on its skin. It does this whenever it's told. Mister, my family will pay cash. Whatever ransom you're asking for, they'll pay it. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Yes, you will, precious. You will get the hose. Okay, okay, okay. For anyone who hasn't seen it, there's a serial killer who is killing women and trying to make a suit for himself out of their skin yeah. um so it's, it's, it's a skin pretty, suit not not like a you know three-piece suit is it it's, it's what do you mean it's a, it's well, no, but he's, he's, yeah, he wants but he's to wear their of, skin yeah but he's like a trained dressmaker yeah, though, yeah. so he's kind of he's I mean, making I it nicely i don't know if we've got the details of like the cut or anything <laughs> <laughs> like, you, he's making let's say it's a, a jacket and trousers <laughs> out of skin uh lady skin it is bloody horrible yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's yeah. the main thing yeah. um and jodie foster's character clarice starling works for the FBI, and she gets put on the case, uh, and they're trying to get into the mindset of the kind of psychopath who would 
do something like this. So the, the guy who is making the skin soup and she goes and visits Dr. Hannibal Lecter, played by Anthony Hopkins, who's an incredibly smart psychiatrist, but also a psychopath who likes to uh, eat people. What's our big question going to be? Yeah, so it's um, it, it's a creepy one. It's, <laughs> of course it's a creepy why one. Why aren't there more cannibals? Oh, we've gone really creepy. Yeah, that yeah. is... I can't wait for this. I'm I know. so on board. Well, what I'm going to warn you, I don't think I'm at all squeamish, really. When I was doing the research for this episode, uh, my stomach was turning. Like, I had to stop watching something. Oh, really? I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, so, yeah, prepare yourself. Oh, I love it. I love it. So have we got a big tasty uh, Don for this one? We've got the absolute Don. He's the guy. Uh, we've got Bill Shutt. He's a professor of biology at Long Island University and a research associate at the American Museum of Natural History. Obviously, big how's he? And he's also the author of the book Cannibalism, A Perfectly Natural History. Oh, I'd good l- title, yeah, I'd Bill. I'd love to have been at that book pitch. Yeah. <laughs> and we're definitely going to go with Perfectly Natural, are we, Bill? <laughs> yes, we are. Um, and uh, the, the reason I wanted to use Science of the Labs for this, for this topic is because... When you think of cannibals, Hannibal Lecter is the first reference, really, I think, for yeah, most people. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and alive. We'll get onto that, you know, the, the Uruguayan oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. rugby team who crashed in the Andes. Um, oh, I've forgotten all about that. Well, we'll be talking about it again. <laughs> um, I am so excited. But that, the, 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 the Lecter approach, um, if you call <laughs> As it we that, call yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the scientific literature, they only call it the Lecter approach. Um, that's just one part of it. It's much, much bigger than that. So to start, I wanted Bill to give us a sense of what we're missing from the bigger picture. I think with regard to what we're missing, what what most people are missing when they think of cannibalism is the fact that there are all these other types of cannibalism that that just don't get the airplay. And and that would be things like ritual cannibalism, for example, funerary rites. Instead of burying somebody, you consume them. Uh, medicinal cannibalism. Um, we can uh, see all sorts of different examples of how parts of the body, just about every part of the body that you can think of, was used to cure just about any type of malady that you can think of. There was culinary cannibalism. There was a time in various places, uh, like China, for example, where, uh, where human flesh was considered to be a delicacy eaten by royalty. Of course, there's criminal cannibalism, which is generally what everybody thinks about when they think about cannibalism. Or in the United States, we think about the Donner Party, and that's survival cannibalism, where there's nothing left to eat, and you are either going to feed your kids a dead body, uh, or they're going to die, or you're going to die, and you make that decision, which is uh, an incredibly difficult decision. So those are the things with regard to cannibalism in humans. Uh, but then there was this whole idea of cannibalism in nature. For this life, it's another day, another hunt. But a closer look reveals something shocking. This is no gazelle. It's a helpless male lion cub. And this is an act of cannibal infanticide. Cannibalism is a, is a very natural behavior across the entire animal kingdom. Frequency varies among different groups. It's extremely common in, in, in animals without backbones, the invertebrates. And, and it's, you know, the other side of that spectrum would be it's more or less rare once you get into things like primates. There are all sorts of reasons why 
cannibalism occurs in nature that make perfect evolutionary sense. The people who did the first work on looking at cannibalism in nature, there were really two categories that they looked at. If you don't have enough food, then you could eat your own kind. But also animals that were placed into captive conditions where they were stressed out by the fact that they were stuck in, an, uh, in a cage or in an aquarium. But the more research that was done, and that really started in the 19, late 1970s, they realized just how widespread it was for reasons like parental care or as a lifeboat strategy in, in birds, as a hedge against unpredictable environmental conditions, uh, as a reproductive strategy. If you get rid of the cubs from a, a, a lioness that has just moved into the pride, uh, then she is going to be more receptive to, uh, to, to mating much quicker. So there are all sorts of reasons other than no food or sticking animals in cages. All right, so this is this is massive in nature. So yes, what cannibalism does or can do for you is it can regulate your population numbers. Yeah. So that will benefit the cannibal and its kin because there are going to be more resources available oh, right, yeah. in, in the area. So there's more more territory, more food, more shelter, and it reduces overcrowding. The only time that that doesn't work is if the animal accidentally eats its own kin, uh, which does happen <laughs> so, sometimes. But a lot of the ones that you see it in, they have some sort of kin recognition and they avoid yeah. eating their, their siblings. Okay. Um, can, where, I, can I also just say yes. that you can control the like number of competitors you've got for resources without having to eat them? Yeah, I mean, but it's good. Yeah, but, yeah, but think it, well, yeah, but then that's a waste of resources, isn't it? Well, well just it, kill them and then let something else benefit from all the nutrients. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Okay. So I'm going to give you an example that you will really love. So there's... Uh, these toads called uh, spadefoot toads. Loving it already. Um, and they uh, they live in, I think, Arizona or something like that. And when they're, they're born, so they're in tadpole form, they're in these, uh, these ponds that sometimes are no more than puddles, really. And because it's so hot, the problem that they have is that these ponds can just dry up really quickly. So it's really important that you develop at pace so that you are in your toad form and you can get out. Because mm. if you're still a tadpole and it dries up, you, you, you're done. But some of the, and they are same species, some of these tadpoles are just regular, regular tadpoles, just little goons. And some of these tadpoles, same genetics, develop into basically monsters. <laughs> <laughs> so they become uh, much bigger really quickly. They, they get these like sort of keratin beaks like no. like big old like jaws. They look like Desperate Dan. <laughs> and they just go around just, just shouting back the other tadpoles. And therefore, they're able to grow much more quickly and get through to toad stage. So they win. And that is an absolutely like it's a really, really strong evolutionary strategy. So how and ha- they avoid their siblings. Yeah, I bet they do. But Apparently, they do. But how has evolution not, not taken this to the point where that's all you get? Well, that is a, that's a good question. I have no idea. But I suppose... If that was all you got, they would struggle to eat. They sort of need to be eating smaller ones. Yeah. So you need the smaller ones. So there'll be some years where the smaller ones get through and yeah. they reproduce. It's fine. So it, can, yeah. it keeps the balance. But I don't right? think that there's any difference between the adult, like the toad stage. I don't think they're developing into like massive toads. Monster toads. Yeah. Which they're is just a shame. getting there more. It is a real shame. <laughs> but they're just getting there more quickly. Yeah. Okay. 
It's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's some great photos of uh, yeah, like these like stacked little tadpoles just gulping down little ones. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I will be looking at those later. Yeah, you you, you will you will. So it's uh, there are a lot of animals that actually just don't recognise individuals as being uh, conspecific, as in the same as them. Oh yeah, they just think, that's fair enough. Well, it's food. Yeah. Well, it's all food, isn't it? Yeah, it's all food. All goes the same way. It's all meat, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's their sort of attitude, which is not bad. And so it's it's a sort of, it's a response to environmental conditions. Let's say you're, you're a parent, you've just had too many kids and there's just not enough space or there's too many males or there's not enough food. Then fairly sensible thing <laughs> is, all right... <laughs> Let's, uh, I mean, I don't want to, but... I don't want to, but let's thin out the pack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's, just, let's give everyone, everyone except the ones I'm eating a better chance. <laughs> uh, and also, it's good for the parents. So their next reproductive event is more likely to be successful if they're well... Well-nourished. If they're well-fed yeah, and, and yeah. well-nourished. It's not a particularly energy-efficient way of doing it, to give birth to something and then eat it again. No, I can see but that. But in certain circumstances, it, 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 it will make sense. Uh, females are more cannibalistic than males in general. Is this because of like sexual cannibalism and things like that? That exactly right. The praying mantis is the is the classic that I think yeah, people, yeah. people know about. But then also uh, black widow spiders do it. Scorpions do it. Sometimes the animals will still be copulating when the female is eating it. <laughs> and other times they'll wait until the end. But again, it's, it's, it's an evolutionary strategy that works because what the male is thinking, not what the male is thinking, what the male knows is that it wants the female to be extremely well nourished and therefore it's more likely to have healthy offspring. And so it's like, it just gives it, takes donates for, its body. Takes it, one for the team. Take, it's basically the ultimate one you can take for the team. <laughs> it's getting eaten by your lady friend. Um, wow. But then you hope that yeah, it's yeah. going gonna, gonna to help your kids. It's kind of like the ultimate selfish gene thing, isn't it? It's yeah. like, I, you know, I pass the, on my genes during sexual reproduction. Job done. And in order to make sure that those genes, you know, have the best possible start in life, I will allow the carrier of the fertilized eggs to eat my body to make sure that that gene carries on into the next generation. Yeah. Wow. It's very, like you say, like just pragmatism <laughs> is really at the heart of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, this is the best thing, so I'm, I'm going to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, it, and, it, and it works. So there's stats on this. So the, the redback spider um, does this sort of like amazing like backflip into the female spider's uh, mouth during copulation. <laughs> uh, and then she's I mean, just like, moves going. Nah, 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 nah. That's a strong and one. And I think it keeps... Um, God, have I made this up? No. I think it, <laughs> as it's getting eaten, it's still jizzy. <laughs> but oh. the ones that get eaten... Uh, so it's like... It doesn't happen all the time, but it's like 65% of the time or something. Yeah. The ones that get eaten, the female has twice as many offspring. So the, the selfish gene is working. Yeah, it's yeah, working yeah. really well. Yeah. Some female spiders feed themselves to their young. Oh. So oh. almost like one step further. You're like, well, my young needs nourishment. Right. There's not enough food. Well, hold on a minute. Yeah. <laughs> the answer's right here. Wow. I'm food. So, so you know, it's like, well, you asked where daddy was. Well... Yeah. There's a story what, behind that. Yeah. I, I ate daddy. I ate daddy. And now, circle of life, you're going to eat me. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how Disney haven't made that film. <laughs> they actually could. Imagine Pixar taking this one. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Come on, Pixar. <laughs> Get involved. <laughs> so, um, in nature, it's extremely common. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so, 
you know, we're not seeing it so much in humans now, but it must have been there in the past. Yeah, we, we asked Bill how common cannibalism would have been in humans historically. Before modern man, it was probably quite common. You know, we have these ideas about religion and symbolism and, and you know, morality. But when you're talking about Neanderthals, for example, or, uh, or other primitive human groups, it's not like they could go to the grocery store. There, there was a lot of times probably when there was just not a lot of food. And, and if, if you uh, came across a body, no matter if it was a, an animal or another human, then, you know, I really think it would be ridiculous to think that they would not consume that, uh, um, consume that meat. There are all sorts of rituals that have nothing to do with Western culture, for the most part, that, that entailed cannibalism. And, and there were groups like, uh, for example, the, the Waré in, in, in Brazil, that uh, w- when the anthropologists went in there, they were appalled that these people were, were, were consuming their dead. And the Waré were just as, uh, as freaked out by hearing that Western anthropologists were burying their dead. They, you know, of course, I'm paraphrasing, but it was like... How could you put your dead in the ground and let them be eaten by worms? Why wouldn't you incorporate them into yourself? So, you know, really culture is king. And and it's not until Western culture became dominant all over the world, really, that that these practices were uh, uh, probably pushed to the shadows initially and then completely eliminated. One of the things that that I found most fascinating was how the word cannibalism was used as a bludgeon from all of these ex- supposedly explorers, and uh, and really what they what they did was they were able to use that Western taboo. If you could call somebody a cannibal, you could do anything you want to them. You they were completely dehumanized. They were not humans. They were you could do you could steal, rape, you could destroy their cultures. And that was used over and over again. You know, it was used by Columbus, then it was used in, in, in Mexico and, and in South America to, to, to justify the slaughter a lot of times. And not to say that there wasn't ritual cannibalism taking place uh, with, with these groups, but, uh, but in some instances, I don't believe there was. When I wrote this book, the two things that were the big surprises for me were, one, how widespread cannibalism was in the animal kingdom, and, and, and two, the fact that in Europe, with this taboo that had been growing since, uh, since the ancient Greeks and then picked up by the Romans, and then, you know, then everyone jumped on the bandwagon. It was William Shakespeare and Sigmund Freud and, uh, it, you know, uh, the Brothers Grimm and, and Daniel Defoe and... By the time you got to, you know, to the 16th, 17th, 18th century, there was the there was this taboo. This was the worst thing that you could possibly do. So to me, it was really surprising that for hundreds of years in Europe, all throughout Europe, and and not just you know not the lower class, not the middle class, it was everybody. That medicinal cannibalism was was huge, and it was every body part that you can think of. For example, blood or ground-up bone or or glands or fat uh, was used in all sorts of preparations, all sorts taken all sorts of ways to cure just about everything you can think of, from from epileptic fits to uh, you know, you know to, to skin conditions. Medicinal cannibalism was uh, 
was quite the thing. And then suddenly in the history books, it disappeared and no one talked about it. And, and I think the last vestiges of that now are uh, folks who believe that they gain a, a benefit from consuming their own placentas. So, <laughs> happy Valentine's Day, by the way. <laughs> I mean, basically. where are we going for dinner tonight? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, despite being like where the taboo started, Europeans have been doing it. Yeah, yeah, right, right up until the 20th century. Wow. It, it, it looks like. And uh, Bill was saying that there was a, a mistranslation of the word uh, mummia, uh, which is a like a sort of bitumen substance. Right. And so when Europeans went over to Egypt, they thought that the mummies they found had medicinal value. So they bought them home and started crushing them up and, and, and eating them. <laughs> oh, my God. Classic us. But then you had this sort of uh, cottage industry that came out of that where people would get their bodies and then dress them up like mummies and then oh, right. and they'd sell them as medicine. <laughs> yeah. Fake mummies. Yeah, fake mummies as medicine. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. like that. And um, and and I'm not surprised at the thought that you know we ate each other to survive when food was scarce. I mean that's that's kind of like you know what you'd expect. Yeah, I mean there's there's been loads of cases of of that in areas where there's been starvation or, yeah. or, or crop failure. So I think quite recently in North Korea there, there there was an example of it. That feels like it's it's grisly, but you kind of you get you understand it. Don't you? it it's don't the you? same yeah. with the with the the plane crash in, in the Andes where. There was just a load of dead bodies, and they were sort of preserved in the snow, and they they didn't get rescued for two months, and they were starving. And you just what are you? I would what absolutely you, eat people. Then. Yeah. What researchers have looked at is the fact that there's loads of evidence of ancient cannibalism, so like Neanderthals and stuff. Yeah. You find like chewed human bones and stuff, evidence of butchery. But there's an archaeologist uh, called Dr. James Cole. Who and he won a Nobel Prize for this stuff. He looked at the sort of calorific content of humans, and it's quite—it's just quite low. Like we're not great food. So, for example, the heart, six hundred and fifty calories. It's pretty low, isn't it? That is low. The brain's only two thousand seven hundred calories. It's a day. Uh, Thighs—they're decent. Thirteen thousand calories. Thirteen thousand. Thirteen thousand. Yeah. Kidney, three hundred seventy-six. Not even worth my time. I mean, that's really. a snack, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, lungs. <laughs> by the way, chewy. Not the first thing I'm going for. Is <laughs> oh yeah, just save me the save me the lungs, please. Sixteen <laughs> uh, hundred calories. Um, yeah, not worth. You, I mean, you're using that to chew them up, really. Exactly. And when you compare that to the amount of calories in other things that you might be eating at the time. So a whole human uh, ends up with about 125,000 calories. Um, And that's sort of, it's obviously an average. But it gives you a ballpark. When you look at the sort of animals that they might have been eating, you're talking about, you know, a mammoth having nearly 4 million calories. Uh, uh, Yeah, they're big though, aren't they? Yeah, a a, a woolly rhino giving you over a million calories from its muscles, a red deer, 160,000 from its muscles, where just from the muscles of a of a man, just over thirty thousand calories. So not particularly nutritious. So then you you think, what is the reason? And it's really hard to say, but it feels like it might be cultural, or it might be due to you know sort of religious stuff or like early religious stuff, uh, warfare. But it's definitely doesn't feel like it's as simple as it's just food. There would be cases like yeah. that, and it would make sense. 
if someone died and there was no taboo, then they are meat, and you'd be like, well, that's an easy thing to get down me. Yeah. But it, but it, we suspect that it's more complex than that. An obvious question. I think it's an obvious question. I hope it's not a weird question. Mm-hmm. Is uh, what, what do I taste like? So it, apparently human meat looks like beef, so it's like a red yeah sort of so it would look like like a a cut of muscle from a from a human would look most like beef um but people have said it tastes more like pork. chicken oh no, no pork. More, more like pork that's yeah. disappointing somehow yeah looks beefy tastes porky that, <laughs> well be that's my, the advertising that's my, done. <laughs> yeah <laughs> sign me up <laughs> Why do you think he removes their skins, Agent Starling? Throw me with your acumen. It excites him. Most serial killers keep some sort of trophies from their victims. I didn't. No. No, you ate yours. All right, so it looks like beef, tastes like pork. Is it good for you? I mean, is it? I mean, we talked about nutrition, but are there any health risks? Yeah, there are actually. So there's a, a, a group called the Foray who live up in the highlands of uh, Papua New Guinea. And people didn't know about them for, for years, actually. Not until the 1930s, I think. And so they were eating their dead bodies at funerals. And their thing was, we don't want to give it to the worms in the ground. We don't, if you put it on a platform, we don't want the maggots to eat them. It's better that your loved ones eat, eat the bodies. And there was something to do with uh, the spirit as well. So there was a, you had to tame the spirit. And often it was the women who would eat it because the women they thought were better equipped to do that. So fine, that was part of their, part of their culture. But they kept getting this disease that would, that would kill them quite slowly. Well, actually, not that slow. It was sort of a period of a year. No one could work out where it was coming from. And, they, and eventually people figured out that it was, uh, they thought it was a virus at first, but it's a, it's a prion disease. So a bit like mad cow disease. Oh, is this and, CJD? Uh, it's it's not CJD, but it's quite similar. To, oh, right, yeah, uh, yeah. So so this one is called uh, Kuru. Same kind of vibe. Uh, really uh, holes in the brain. Very bad vibe. Holes in the brain stuff. Yeah. So the fact that Kuru was getting transmitted like this showed that people could get a, a prion disease from eating infected people. We also know that you can get a prion disease from eating infected cow because of mad cow disease. Same sort of mechanism. But I suppose more than that, obviously, if that human meat is in any way diseased, if they had any virus or, or, or something, then you are... Oh, you're getting transmission, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, basically. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And there's no question of it, of it crossing from species to species. It's, it's ready it, to go. Yeah, it's, 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 it's pre-prepared. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, okay, so, I mean, it's, it's rare these days, this whole cannibalism thing. And I yes. can sort of see why. Yes. I mean, we have an abundance of food. We're not mm-hmm. really in a position where we have to do it. And we don't really want to get these kinds of diseases. No. Um, are we going to see it making a comeback? I mean, is, is it... Great question. People, um, people <laughs> are eating placentas, aren't they, after, yeah, after yeah. birth? So, yeah. so maybe, you know, that's the, the gateway meat. Well, we, we, asked, um, we asked Bill <laughs> exactly that. Could, <laughs> could we see a comeback? <laughs> could we start the comeback? So if you're talking about the negative effects of cannibalism, there, there are really, it, it really falls into two categories. One is that it, it, if, you know, if you eat your own kin, then it, 
it reduces something that's called inclusive fitness. And, and inclusive fitness is really a measure of evolutionary success. So if you're eating your own kind, you can think of it as those genes are not going to be moving down through the generations. So that would be one reason uh, that would be a negative. And the other is that you have these species-specific parasites and diseases. And, and that really comes into play when you look at things like med cow disease and Kuru. There are, are deadly diseases that are uh, associated with, with consuming your own kind. We're talking about an infection of the brain uh, known as Crotchfeld-Jakob disease, or CJD. If you get it, it's, it's uh, unfortunately a terrible diagnosis. I mean, this is a disease that can start off with, uh, you know, simple sort of uh, dementia-like symptoms, but it progresses very rapidly. I think that the reason that cannibalism in humans continues to be rare, and you will hear about it um, only with regard to criminal cannibalism, and, and, and here you're dealing with a mental disorder that can have a variety of causes, um, you know, from emotional stress to schizophrenia to obsessive compulsive disorder. And, it, it, you know, once you get beyond that, then there are probably even more rare examples where it is uh, survival cannibalism, and those have gotten m much more rare. There's really not a lot of cannibalism taking place nowadays, and I don't really expect that it will. And and the reason being, uh, we're much more, um, you know, we're much more tied into uh, the ideas about diseases. And then there is this huge influence of Western culture, which has turned this into a taboo over probably the last two thousand years. Is is really the reason why I don't think that that cannibalism will ever become widespread. Um, by choice. Now, if something were to happen, if you had, you know, if you have really poor people isolated and, uh, and you know, other people come in and they're heavily armed, that, then I can see cannibalism taking place in, in situations like that. But, but, uh, but other than that, I, I think that, that Western culture has pretty much uh, put this, put, you know, stomped on, on the fact that some cultures used to practice it for reasons that made perfect sense to them. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Dr. Leiter. Dr. Leiter. Okay, fair enough. So it's sort of not around. I accept that. Except that there's sort of people who kind of get off on it. Well, exactly. So if you look at Hannibal Lecter, yeah. he's not doing it for... No, he doesn't need reasons. to do it, does he? He doesn't need to do it. He is absolutely getting off on it in some way. And he is, he, he, he's a psychopath. Um, and so this is, you call it pathological cannibalism. Very rare. It appears to happen in two types of, of people. So people who've just got a psychotic mental illness. And then people who have extreme forms of uh, paraphilia, which is that you, you get turned on by doing dangerous stuff. So taboo turns you on, effectively. Right. And so this is one way of uh, channeling it. I mean, there was that German guy, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. There was a, a, a German guy who advertised on a... And a, a, as you can well imagine, on the internet, there are places where you can find like-minded people. Um, <laughs> and the, the guy was sort of advertised for someone to, to eat. And someone volunteered and said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm into that. I mean, um, that's a big step, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And the guy... You'd sleep on that email, wouldn't you? Mm, 
So yeah, it's, it's in drafts. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm up. Am I up for it? Am I? Not Maybe send here. that in the morning. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty, pretty horrible. The guy tried to uh, bite his, well, bite his boy off, and uh, but then discovered that actually it's quite hard to bite a boy off. <laughs> Famously, <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it, the thing is that. There's there's consent. Oh, there's consent there. Like there, there's just like a guy said, look, I want to eat someone. Anyone up for it? And someone else has said, yeah, I'm up for it. You can eat me. If it's all consensual, yeah, and maybe not even fatal, is mm. that legal? Is it? I mean, are we making well, too big a deal of it? By and large, cannibalism is legal. Well, I mean, not everywhere, but in most places. So in in the states, for example, the only state that it is illegal is Idaho. <laughs> really? Any, anywhere else, you, you you'd be fine. But it's actually still quite hard to be in a situation where you can eat human flesh because there's lots of other things that mean it's going to be tricky to do it right. legally. But actually, if you've managed to source some human flesh legally, right, then you should probably be able to consume it without any problems. Is it legal in um, the UK? Uh, yeah, it is, yeah. Mm. yeah. But there's a, there's a guy in America who had a motorbike accident Ended up having to have his foot amputated. He said, can I take my foot? They were like, sure. He took his foot, whacked it in the freezer. One of his friends was a chef. He said, okay, going to invite the guys around and we're going to eat my foot. Uh, and uh, so he sent out the invite and then a load of them were like, yeah, go on then. How uh, drunk were they? Uh, I don't I don't know, but he made, um, like the chef fried it up with peppers and onions and then made they made tacos and then they they <laughs> ate the um, <laughs> then they ate his foot and that that and is, they never saw each and, other and again. The, the, yeah, I, mean, I don't know if they're still talking. Guys, but, let's, let's never ever mention this again. Yeah, but unfortunately, they have mentioned it. Yeah, <laughs> we're mentioning it for them. But they um, oh. there's clearly there's no, there's no law has been broken there. And his point was they were just it's the only opportunity they're ever going to get to see what human meat tastes like. It's mine, so why not? I think like, there are some opportunities you don't need. Well, what are you saying? If I'm presenting exactly that offer, I don't think I am, by the way, but if I am, what are you saying? I mean, does the curiosity not get the better of you? No, not at all. I'm not I'm not that curious. There's lots of things I haven't eaten that I'm not going to eat, and mm. I, I can live without them. Yeah. And your foot is one of them. Yeah. I think I would want to try it just out of interest. Would you? If, if, it, was, if it was totally above board, just wow. because, I don't know, th- those opportunities aren't going to present themselves that often. You're not who I thought you were. But you're just trying it. I'm not saying I'm going to then change my diet to try and incorporate human. Or if it's really nice. But it's never that. Reading about it, no one ever says, this is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 the, the reports are not good. Yeah, I, I, I feel for me, I, I, it's just not something I feel the need to do. Even with some fava beans and a nice Chianti? <laughs> Can we make this end now? Yeah, okay, we can we can make it end. I mean, it's it's um it's awful, isn't it? It's awful. It's awful. <laughs> it's awful. Uh, and I'm glad I'm glad we did it <laughs> on Valentine's Day. Uh, so our, uh, our question was, why aren't there more cannibals? And the answer is, there's more cannibals than you think there are. Yeah, but there's still there's there's still not many. There's not You've many. Basically, got pathological criminal cannibals still a few of those knocking around and then you've got a few isolated uh groups where culturally there's there's no taboo or culturally you know 
it's a it's a, good it's a thing. positive thing yeah, yeah. to do. Um, but you can't see how it is going to spread without there being some massive external force like huge food shortages. Or you a, need to people are getting or driven a good to marketing it, campaign. Maybe. Yeah, what was our slogan? It looks beefy. It tastes porky. It looks beefy. Tastes porky. Yeah, that might swing it. I think it's going to make a comeback. It's going to be huge. Science-ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by me, Rick Edwards, and Dr. Michael Brooks. It was produced by Eli Block. Sound designed by L. Scott. The executive producer was Harry Watson. Special thanks to Bill Shutt. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you, it does help. And you can also find us on Twitter at science underscore ish. <laughs> Filial cannibalism. Mm-hmm. Hello. <laughs> Wouldn't touch any of my fucking siblings. Although my brother's got quite meaty lately. Well, there you go. <laughs>